will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. What's going on, everybody? It's Blandon here, and welcome to another episode of Leverage Addicts. And I have Andrew sitting across me today again, and we are talking about strategies on how we can maintain leverage, especially when we're in this high interest environment. Yeah, it's a real temptation to think about paying down your mortgages uh, when the interest rates go up or when when tough times come. And what we don't want is people selling at the bottom and losing their ability to get capital gains on a much bigger number. So I wanna put some real life example here because I'm in that situation as well. And many of our clients are sort of in a similar position because they have seen that the interest rate have gone from like two and a half, three percent up to six and a half, seven percent. And they're worried that it's going to go even higher. And so they're contemplating whether or not, you know what, let, let me just let go of one of these properties and then just sell down, pay down some debts. Sometimes it might be the wise thing to do, but sometimes it might not. Because I'm in the same situation, same boat. My thought is that I want to sell down one of my mineral real property. And so how would you walk me through it in terms of how I should think about this? What sort of strategies I could apply? Maybe we can try apply it to the same scenario. Yeah, and it's it's a topic we've been talking about for a few months and it's it's basically strategies to deal with rising interest rates to maintain your leverage position and you got to think long term. You got to think if I'm going to be investing for 10, 20, 30 years, uh, I know what my end goal is. Do I need to take a couple of steps backwards to make sure I can maintain that forward momentum? Or can I maintain my current position, just buckle down for a little bit and then wait for the right time? Uh, so basically, I think you mentioned in an email recently in the newsletter, there were around seven strategies. And then also we might talk about a bonus one today. So walk me through what kind of questions should I be thinking about? So I'm in the situation where I'm thinking about selling one of my South Auckland property. I'm in the situation where my residential portfolio is around uh, 5 million debt and then some business debt as well that I probably need to think about. So what are, what are you going to walk me through? Yeah, look, when when you're making good profits, when interest rates are low, uh, when the market's hot and the things are going well, you tend to get lazy with your analysis of numbers and uh, you don't focus on trying to squeeze every dollar out of things. So when that position switches around, you got to focus on forecasting your, your cash flow and understanding the numbers at a deeper level and well in advance. Because what happens is if you don't forecast, when you find out about bad things happening, it's too late to take proactive action. Uh, so the first strategy is is to get effective forecasting done. And the more debt you have, the more properties you have, the better forecasting you need. Especially when your interest rate change hasn't happened yet, it's hard to understand the nuances and, and all of the numbers without detailed spreadsheets. So actually I have done this work and to give you a better understanding, I'm very fortunate I apply trying to have my mortgage on different tranches. And so I have some on like four year, 2.99%. Some on 4.99 percent for years. So my average cost is around four, like just over four percent, under four and a half. 
And to maintain the portfolio, my cash flow position is around negative 110, including all of the tax uh, deductibility. So it's not too bad. And that includes my own occupied as well. They'll pay for all the costs. So I've done my cash flow and that's roughly where it is. But if it does come off from that four and a half percent average closer to where the market is, it's it's a significant uh, uplift in costing. And also if interest deductibility don't come back in, that is the worries that I have personally that I'm thinking about and probably a lot of the audience as well. And you've got to add your life event costs to that as well. Children, childcare, if your wife or yourself taking extended time off work or if income is being impacted by what's going on. Um, so forecasting all of those little details, changing an interest rate by one or 2%, you want to see what that looks like over the next couple of years. And you can afford the negative gearing for uh, a certain period of time, but not forever. <laughs> so what would be the next thing that I want to look at then? I mean, I kind of understand my cash flow position. I guess I'm just trying to go, okay, worst case, I don't really want this massive burden in the background. And it's more to do with the fact I don't really want to reduce my living standards, right? I want to make sure the kids, you know, can still do their swimming class. I don't want to drop my swimming class. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to have like a YouTube premium, things like that. The luxury. Well, I don't have that. So you're on another level, mate. Yeah. So once you have a good understanding of what the forecast looks like, that's about trying to figure out how long is your runway. So the second strategy is to figure out, okay, based on your ability to borrow or your reserve account, how much savings do you have access to? And that can be in, in different formats. And what, and what are you aiming for? The more debt that you've got and the higher uh, living cost you've got, the bigger your buffer really should be. That buffer is not just cash, it might be certain ins insurances as well, income protection or uh, medical cover. You've Bank of mom and dad. Bank of mom and dad <laughs> for some. Your risk of catastrophic failure goes up significantly if your buffer is small. And I think that what happens when people have a small buffer, you know, five or 10 grand and their mortgages are Know, seven figures if they have a, a blip in their income or health scare or interest rate um, refix is a little bit higher than they thought that financial stress doesn't happen six months down the way it happens you know two weeks you can go from feeling like you're on top of things to one bad little event happening and it might not even be you directly it might be that you need to pay for something for friends or family that you know, they're desperate and you need a help so i guess if i walk through my situation well the way I think about it is like, well, if I sell at the peak, maybe I can sell the property for another 150K. Yeah. Maybe if I'm very lucky, 200,000. But now if I sell it slightly below, I have a bit of a, a much bigger runway and I'll be in a, a position where I'm much more comfortable just weathering, you know, next few years if I just had that buffer sitting in the bank. And so I definitely think I'm leaning towards selling, but let's see what other bullet points you have. It depends on the stage of your portfolio building, right? You've got a bunch of properties now and it might be that you're, you're looking to offload the one that makes the least sense to keep long term, which still fits with your long term strategy. Uh, whereas if you're just getting started on your property investment journey, maybe you've got one investment property, one family home, and you're deciding to sell the investment property, that's a very big step backwards. Yeah, because I guess another way to look at it as well, I'm actually selling less than 10% of my portfolio. I'm not letting yep. go. I'm not, hey, like that's my whole portfolio gone that I'm selling. That's probably not the best thing.
thing we should think about in terms of like, because if you're letting go more than 60, 70% of your portfolio, I'm guessing like this is the worst market to do it unless you're potentially some of the other bullet points that you might go over might be useful. Yeah, so the third uh, strategy to deal with these uh, rising interest rates is around having a strategic structure for your mortgage. And that's where you touched on the interest rate averaging is if you haven't in the past broken your, your fixed mortgage up into different length of terms, like one year, two year, three year, now is the time to take action on that. Definitely. So you're not exposed in the future to massive swings in rates, either up or down. You don't want to miss out if they go down. You don't want to get caught out if they go up. You know, certain things like revolving credit, offset, the credit card rewards and, and structures and interest rate averaging schemes that your mortgage advisor might have told you about in the past and maybe you haven't really focused on it that much because interest rates were so low now is the time to really engage and understand with the advice and to go back to the fundamental like the theory side of things and i think sometimes we also miss the fact that investment property interest deductibility or not you still want to have it on interest only the reason why you have it on interest only doesn't mean that you never pay back the loan you just have more control over the cash flow and you can still decide to pay a lump sum at the end of the year well, even during the term, you can pay off 5% without any penalty. But definitely interest averaging was a huge part to me being able to keep the portfolio because otherwise it's, I'll be selling 30, 40, if not 40%, you know, if everything jumped up to like 7%. Yeah, and it's the unsexy strategies that compound over time to create success in property investing. It's fun to talk about specific properties and, and how people have bought well, but often the reason people are able to buy the fifth or sixth or seventh property, even a third property, is because of intelligent structure over a longer period of time. Now, if you do interest rate averaging over a 10, 20 year period, the odds are that you're gonna be able to put more towards principal or put more aside for more deposits on, on buying more properties. Um, so if you haven't had success in understanding these you know, theoretical mortgage structures in the past, time to you know try again and even refinancing, restructuring, it does make sense to extend the terms of your mortgages if it allows you to keep properties rather than taking a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar loss on a property compared to the peak of the market might make sense to refinance an 18-year loan term back up to 25 years on interest only, you might feel like you're taking that backward step, but over the next five years, you might average 6 7% capital gains and you're not going to regret having not paid down principal if that property made you 300K. It's a, it's a good thought that you said that because we had a client, Ben, who had a portfolio of maybe 35 4%. But at the time when he restructured his portfolio, it was probably just over five. And he just forego of all the lower interest rate because they were all going to come on principal and interest. And the lending environment was getting tougher. Like he wasn't going to be able to borrow as much, but he had a cash flow positive portfolio even at five and a half percent interest only. So he kind of decided to go, you know what, let's just lock it long term and just restructure that. And it made a lot of sense. And you know, that takes us to the fourth strategy of of separating securities and, and if you can freehold a property before you're gonna sell it so that you're not just 
losing a property from your portfolio and then having to pay down debt. You want to have choices and you want to use uh, offset if you can't freehold, but you want to get your structure right before you start talking to real estate agents and lawyers, talk to mortgage advisor to do the calculations for you on, on what options you've got. So that one there, Andrew, I don't actually have any option because I, you're, you're, extended, you're. I extended myself last year to buy to pick up another cash flow property. And so I'm kind of maxed out. So that's a good thought. Like if I could freehold one of my security, I can keep all the cash. Well, and there is ways to do that, right? You can add borrowers, you can add incomes, you can, there's, there's certain ways that you could like assess with different lenders. It might be quite difficult and you might just not find an option that you're happy with doing, but there is a way. Yeah, I think it comes down to sort of what stage the client might be in as well. And we talk about the mortgage life cycle in Mortgage HQ and Wealth HQ. And essentially, it's just trying to understand what stage you're in in the life cycle on investing and your mortgages. And so early stages, you're just trying to make sure that your income and expense allocation is very strong and have a very good debt strategy, debt reducing strategy. Then later on, you kind of shift your mindset to expansion, expansion meaning using leverage, and then later on optimizing the equity in the portfolio for more cash flow. So I'm kind of in that stage too, where I'm looking to expand as much as possible, safely and intelligently, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, even chess masters make moves that are not the right ones with the benefit of hindsight, right? And especially in a blitz game. So no, freeholding securities, it's a prompt for me to think not just about properties, but about businesses and cars and boats and like anything that you've got finance on, you might want to think about, okay, can I consolidate these debts into my mortgage? so that I've got this boat or this car freehold. So that if I need cash quickly, I can sell the car or the boat and I get the cash. I'm not using that money to pay down debt involuntarily. It's the same with business. You know, it's a lot of people that have got debt in their business have got cross collateralization with property or with something else. And now is the time to really, if you can push to start separating things. If you think that you're going to need access to cash, you want that backup plan. So one of the principle that I did stick with that I guess kind of allows me to sleep at night is that I've given myself this goal to always have enough investments that I can sell so I can pay off all my debt on my own occupied. So I wouldn't want to have an own occupied that costs more than what my investments are worth. So that's helped a lot, actually. So that takes us to the fifth strategy of, of replacing your uh, low yielding assets with basically higher yielding or better assets. And this kind of takes us through the investment journey where when you're getting started out, your likelihood of, of buying the perfect property right in the beginning is not high. And there's always this tendency to just want to get a deal done. And it's often that people are buying the wrong property first up or even the first couple of properties. When you get to a, a later stage of your investing, you change what your, your optimal investment is. So now is probably the time if you have to, to start not offloading the market investment you have, but even though it might hurt at the time is the one that is not going to make the most sense to to keep long term. Now, it might be that you've got a couple of Auckland properties that are in zones where they're not getting you the growth you want, they're low yield, maybe they need a bit of work to get them up to standards. It might be easier, especially with what's going on with the flooding, is just say, hey, look, let's take the loss on this and then replace it with something that's higher yielding in a, in a regional area. And you might wait for things to stabilize before you do that. And I think it's a very good market to do that in because right now you could pick up multi-units 
in some of the main cities and the regional main cities, you're still seeing like 10, 11, 12%. You know, if you're looking at an Auckland property, you'll be very lucky to see like 4% uh, gross yield, which is your annual rent divided by the purchase price or whatever price that you can sell the property for. And so for this one here, I would think I am actually applying this. So then it's quite interesting that you say this because what I'm trying to do is recycle some equity back so then I can carry on with a development. I want to be in a stronger equity position before I start the development and that is going to allow me to trade some of the lower yielding position or well, lower yielding debt to a much higher yielding debt because I'm building other houses. So there's kind of two high level mindsets with selling properties. There's one is to pay down debt which is a backward step with your investing unless you're at a later stage or there's selling a property to have cash to keep reinvesting and to give you the buffer and the security, help you sleep at night. Depending on, on your age and stage, what we're obviously promoters of is selling the wrong property for your portfolio and keeping the cash to allow you the options in the future. Now your options in the future might include paying down debt and that's fine, but you've still got that option. You've got the option to buy more property, invest in business, buy assets, you've got the option to stop working for a while. And if interest rates go up, you've got the option to keep your properties uh, because of having cash. That's an interesting point. And I actually haven't told you this, Andrew. I've got some new plans with my wife. Yeah. It's not another baby, okay? Not yet, maybe. We're thinking of actually moving out of our home at the moment. It's it's a three-bedroom, you know, it's in central, like Mount Wellington. And the reason why we're deciding to actually rent it out, well, first of all, we want to build our own occupied later on. But we're in that position where I'm just thinking, well, I don't want to move too many times. And in case I don't have enough equity, I've got that property kind of just on rent and I can sell that, liquidate it. And I'm living in a place where maybe next three years, um, I've got more space. And then like, if I need some cash, I can sell that straight away without having to like, oh man, worried about moving when I need the cash. You guys can't live in my garage, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm happy to sleep with the gym equipment. Come on, man. So where are you going to move? The the thing that we're thinking about is maybe just move into, because we were like, obviously the markets changed and we thought we're going to build, build our own house sooner. We're going to finish the development and build our own house sooner but because where interest rate is and where property prices are where construction costs is i think we have to bank for a little bit longer to you know be in a i guess a more comfortable position i don't i don't really want to put us in a really risky or perhaps stressful position well yeah if you get stressed then you'll make decisions differently yeah so so in that situation well what we're trying to do we're, we're pushing towards maybe around st john's middle bank where we can go to the school zone that we want like we're in the primary school zone. So that's what we're thinking about. But um, yeah, what what else do you have for me? What what can what else can we look at? Our sixth strategy is around cash flow hacking your properties. And this is, it might seem obvious, but it, it's about trying to maximize your rental income. And again, when interest rates are low, when times are good, there's, there's less focus on trying to maximize uh, your returns on properties, especially when you've got the interest rate deductibility. But if we just think about the difference that $20 a week makes on uh, your income annually, it might only make a $1,000 difference. But if you're making $5,000 profit on your portfolio annually and now it's 6,000, it's like 20% bump 
for the sake of $20 a week. And I think a lot of people have become lazy or maybe ignorant of what, what the market's doing in the rental side of things. Yep. And, and again, maybe it's time to consider, can you add extra rooms or sleep outs, minor dwellings? Can you look at social housing contracts to minimize the amount of tenant churn that you might have? There are other options to help you reduce volatility in your rental incomes and to increase it ultimately. Again, that might come back to tying in with the other strategy of selling one property that, for example, has three bedrooms for buying a property that has four bedrooms that can fit a sleep out. And the properties might be the same value. They might be in a slightly different area, but your yield might bump way up and the position you're in cash flow wise is a lot stronger. Definitely. And I think with cash flow hacking properties, what would you say is a reasonable amount of return on investment you would aim for? Like, let's say if you had to spend 100,000, what would you aim for as a as a minimum return in this environment? I don't know if that is the right question. I think the question goes back to your forecasting of how much of a negative cash flow you can afford if any. And if you can afford the negative cash flow, then you're making that trade-off between location and yield, generally speaking. And, and of course, around land banking, if you're looking at development properties. Now, most of the property commentators are talking about a three to one return. If you're gonna spend 30 grand, you should be getting that 90 grand bump in the value. And then also around the yields, if you're doing a renovation, it's just around bedrooms. No, more bedrooms is more money, generally speaking, right? But if you might need to do kitchens, bathrooms, without changing the bedrooms, might increase your rent quite a bit as well. So that's a good thought because what happened is recently we're, I mean, we're catching up with David Woodburn more regularly talking about developments. And one of the things that we talked about is, well, what should you be going for in this environment? Is it just maximum margin? Because there are a lot of deals that are going to have good margin on developments, even with this price dropping and also construction costs going up because the land has come down significantly. And then you also want to maybe balance in the yield situation where you know something goes wrong, properties don't settle because there's a lot of those. Yeah. And you have to hold on to the property, like how much yield would you aim for? So it's like you kind of have to measure what the appetite is on the whole situation. But I would say at least you would want to go for 10% return on your money at the moment if you were to spend something and then you can maybe sell something down that's giving you lower yield than that. What do we do if we're in a situation where you want to reduce risk or you're at that point where you're going to have to make a snap decision? So seventh strategy is around working together with others. So introducing capital partners, another way of saying that is bringing friends and family into your investments. So you might own two investment properties, they're, they're negative 50 grand a year because of the new interest rates. You know you can't afford that, but you can afford negative 25. There might be somebody in your close network that is keen on investment property, has seen the success that you've had, and is willing to buy in at a, an agreed price. So you're gonna basically cut your returns in half, but also cut your costs in half. And this is very, very common strategy especially with the immigrant families is to pull your resources together and build a portfolio that's much bigger than you would be able to on your own, uh, but it's shared. So one thing that you said is very applicable for me, um, immigrant family who wants to help my parents be wealthy as well. 
Yeah. So I kind of preempt them. So one of the properties that we bought last year is on a bigger site. And so I'm potentially kind of preempting my dad already, but I'm going to look at the due diligence. Free labor and, um, and non-interest bearing uh, inter-family hey, loan. Hey, no, I actually try to make the money, okay? <laughs> so this piece of land, like it's pretty big. And I think I can chop off a portion where he can potentially build like a home and income. And it only costs him, like, I'll give it to him at cost price, but that gives me some equity release on that property, like 450K. And if he builds a minor dwelling for, you know, like a home and income for 250K in the regions, 400K, he's going to get closer to $800, $900 rent. You know, he's going to be pretty happy with that. Definitely, I think this is a huge one in this current market is trying to go, you know what? Let's just stop thinking about ourselves. Like, should we just sell it on the market? Can we introduce some capital partners? Maybe I'll sell it to you, Andrew. Maybe maybe after due to diligence, my dad doesn't want it. I've got a 10% return. You'll be happy with that, right? You think about the... Uh the costs of, of marketing and delay. You know, if you're selling a million dollar property and you're having to do staging and it's it's untenanted for a while and you're gonna pay your, your 3%, now you're talking 50 grand of cost to sell a property, that's not even including the market being down. The agent's not gonna like, like you for saying that, man. Yeah, well, it just is what it is. And that 50 grand can be given basically to another buyer or even split so that the price can be more favorable for them. You guys can agree on your own terms uh, around settlement, around any equity funding. So if you can bring another buyer in, and it might be that you can bring another partner in and you're a 100% you're finance partner and they're an equity partner. So, And it's very difficult to convince anyone to do anything like this unless you have in the base knowledge and have the numbers to demonstrate why it's good for them and good for you. And that comes back to that property formula workshop that you've developed and the spreadsheets that we have. Quick plug in, like Andrew said, we've got a couple of online educational classes that you can actually have a look at some of the case studies around replacing lower yield assets with higher yielding assets. So the masterclasses are available on mhu.co.nz. You can just go under education tab and you'll see masterclasses in 90 minutes or 60 minutes. And then we also have the property formula workshop, which a lot of clients have gotten really good results from it because some of them I'm just really proud of because they were able to start in a place where, you know, property was a really scary thing, talking about numbers and, you know, they're just talking about 20K renovations. And I was just saying uh, on Saturday, Sharon, who jumped on, you know, she was talking about 20K renovations like 18 months ago. Now she's talking about like $2 million developments, you know, yeah, yeah. like it was nothing. <laughs> so the confidence level is just phenomenal. It's the knowledge of the crowd. I think it's a TED talk. They walk a giant bull onto the stage and there's like 800 people in the audience and they say, how much does this bull weigh? And there's 800 votes and they average out those votes and it's like within one kilo and it's like if you ask 10 people to guess what's the the weight of, of the bull it's very unlikely it's going to be close to that to to the real weight but you have enough people of of intelligence to you know the knowledge of the crowd and that's what we have with the community with property formula workshop uh, but no bull <laughs>
This uh, takes me to my probably my favorite strategy for dealing with rising interest rates. And most of what we've gone through is kind of coping mechanisms and more of like a what if and with like a scared approach. My favorite approach is to focus on how to make more money. That might be difficult for some people given their current position or their industry or, or their time constraints. But all of us have some form of ability to increase our skills, to learn how to negotiate, to upskill and, and and find new avenues for making money, whether it's a side business, a second job, or you might be a nurse in the hospital, but you want to go into a specialist field in a private hospital, there's going to be more money, or there might be more flexibility with better hours. You've got to have the mindset of how can I make more money, not necessarily by giving up that time. And it might require a bit of a pivot and it might actually require that your income goes down for a little bit so that it can go up. And sometimes it's as simple as just asking. So, Andrew, can I take more money home? Yeah, sure, man. No, no problem. Uh, let me just uh, sort that off for you today. You're going to increase your hours though, right? Well, definitely. I mean, uh, I'll put in more hours. But in saying that, I definitely think I agree with Andrew here. And sometimes it's just as simple as, you know what? Asking first what's needed to get to the next income level and in your professions. I think a lot of the time is we ask for the money first and want to get paid first and then we'll do the job. But a lot of the time, I think most managers, you know, if they see you getting some results, they're more than happy to, you know, start paying you more. To advocate for it. Yeah. And, and it has to be obviously aligned with the objectives of the of the management or wh whatever the business is trying to trying to get as an outcome. Yeah, I mean, show me a person that doesn't feel underappreciated or undervalued or underpaid. Like everyone does, no matter what level they're at. If you said, look, show me the person that is generating 10 times return on their cost and, and developing their skills and bringing things to your business or your industry that, that other people can't do, there's a very, very small number of people. And it's not that difficult if you start with a sheet of paper that says, what skills can I learn that other people, not many other people can do that's going to be able to easily increase my income because of the return it provides my employer or my industry. And just having that mindset is going to set you on a pathway for making a lot more money. And the reason why it's important to think about making more money is let's just pretend you're, you're earning 100000 now and you're saving 20000 of it annually. If you can get your income from 100000 to 120,000, it's not a $20,000 increase. You're actually doubling your savings as long as you're you're. Haven't you heard of lifestyle inflation? Lifestyle inflation. No, why you you? That's why you've got to set up your savings first. That's a very good principle to stick with. My favorite strategy for dealing with rising interest rates is to put the um, opportunist's hat on and figure out how collectively you can make more money. It might be an industry change. It might be changing. Are you changing industry? Uh, I'm, I'm leveling up, man. <laughs> And talking to your peers and your your mentors and people in other industries that you know make more money, sometimes switching is not the easiest decision, but you've got to do things to be able to survive and thrive on your financial freedom journey. And if your current situation doesn't allow you to reach your financial freedom goals, you've got to decide, do I like my job more than this goal is important to me? Or is achieving financial freedom more important than this current job that I might like, but it doesn't allow for me to earn what I need to earn to achieve it. And I think that wraps up 
today's conversation. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for your advice around how I could maintain and utilize leverage in this current high interest rate environment. Just going through those steps again, you know, I feel a lot more confident in terms of my decision. And hopefully you guys got something from that as well. And if you guys have found value, definitely share this podcast with one friend. And that's all we're asking for. We're not asking for too much, but share the love. Thanks, guys.